You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is uh, someone I've wanted on for a long time. Uh, one of my good buddies, Eric Bo. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Great to be here and, uh, and always good to see you. Eric is uh, coming to us from Ketchum, Idaho. And in an hour or so, he's off to Africa on a, a pretty exciting trip. So super nice of him to make time. Um, real quick, Eric is a guy that I've known of since high school, a lot of mutual friends. So we, we kind of got to be friends post-college. But one of those guys just, you know, in my opinion, is just super friendly, likable. Everybody knew Eric. Everybody liked Eric. And, you know, when I look at him in his career, it, it kind of makes sense. Like he's a very connected guy who's credible, um, respected. He's in the financial services industry and somebody that I've worked with over the years and super impressed. And what I really love about Eric is not only his professionalism, but he's really been able to carve out a very cool career in a very uh, cool part of the world, uh, you know, the Sun Valley area, but he's done it very well. And I'll stop uh, rambling. Eric, why don't you, in your own words, um, tell the audience a little bit about what it is you do, who you work for, kind of like um, your niche or your type of, you know, how you're different than say maybe other people in your industry. Sure, Dirk, happy to. And so I work for a company called Robertson Stevens and Robertson Stevens was a a legendary investment bank in San Francisco, considered one of the four horsemen uh, back in the dot-com days in the 80s and 90s, and and basically fell on hard times after the dot-com bubble burst. Some friends of mine approached me about five years ago. They were ex-Goldman Sachs pre-IPO partners that were in private equity, and they told me they were going to buy Robertson Stevens and what their vision was. And their vision was as customers of wealth management, they felt there had to be a better experience in the future. And so it was very simple. And what am I talking about? They wanted to invest heavily in technology. Okay, so using 21st century technology to be able to give an experience, a disruptive experience that many industries have seen, financial services hasn't, hadn't seen that disruption until now, frankly. So that was one of their visions. And then and then also sounds silly, but you know, hyper emphasizing the investment returns. Okay. So a lot of big trust banks and, and a lot of different entities over the years have have sort of forgotten that performance is actually why people hire us. And so uh, you know, really putting the emphasis on a very, very boutique, very bespoke investment process but also access to things that people have a really hard time accessing. So our investment office in New York is head headed by a guy named Stuart Katz, who was also from Goldman, but then ran a $4 billion single office for a Goldman client that pulled him out of Goldman to do that. So, so we do emphasize just using rough numbers, about two thirds traditional assets, very strict process around those assets, but then very smart alpha, which is the private investments. So, so frankly, you know, low cost beta, which is market exposure, very smart alpha, which is where we really try and drive special returns in both good times and bad. So that's sort of a, a in a nutshell. Before that, I was at RBC, 
Royal Bank of Canada for 15 years. Had an incredible experience there, still have lots of friends there, nothing but great things to say about it. But our clients outgrew it, to be frank. So our clients were demanding uh, you know, really, really unique investments on the private side, again, whether it's direct investments in companies or industrial buildings in you know, Spokane, Boise, and Sacramento on the you know, industrial real estate side and things we couldn't do at RBC. And then again, the technology. Clients were becoming more and more frustrated with you know, DOS 2.0 type technology when it comes to analyzing all these different investments that we pull together. If a client is a, a large collection in, in even art, you know, we can take that performance from that art and blend it with their traditional asset performance. All of this is tied together with a very strict you know, process around financial planning. So we always say, we back into risk. You know, there's no way we can do what we do if we don't know what the big picture is. You know, if a client has a large family legacy asset over on the left side that we don't manage, if we don't know about that and how it operates, it's really impossible for us to do a good job with their assets that we do manage. So we always say left hand has to know what the right hand's doing. We back into risk. We base it all on a financial plan. And only then do we start talking about investing. So anyway, kind of a long answer, but I thought, uh, but thanks for asking. No, I love it. So I'm kind of thinking like when these people approached you, there's a lot of talented people in your industry. Mm -hmm. And what do you think it was about you? Like what separates you from others? Like what is your, I don't want to say niche or your, your unique skill set, but like what is it that you bring to the table um, that maybe is different from people in your line of work? Boy, that's a great question. You know, I, I I don't, you know, I have lots of good friends that do a really good job in this industry. And I think the number one attribute is I just don't drop balls. You know, I don't know how else to say it. It's, you know, in this business, things happen. For example, Sunday night, I had to spend several hours with my planning group in New York for a big meeting on Monday morning. You know, that's not what I wanted to do on Sunday night, <laughs> but but it was so important to me to not ever give the impression that we're somehow not on top of it, i.e. dropping balls. So I think that's one thing in my career. I don't sleep if there's, you know, things that need to be dealt with, um, you know, and I think that gets back to the same nature you have, Dirk, which is this competitive nature we grew up with, you know, whether it's East side playing MI in football or basketball, you know, we, We've always been competitive. We've always shown up. But part of being competitive is realizing if you drop balls, you're losing. And you're losing that client's confidence in you. You know, this business is all about, I always say, I mean, a lot of our clients are a heck of a lot smarter than me. I'm not afraid to say that. But but one example of a client in Seattle, actually, who's one of the early Microsoft guys, you know, he's super smart and wonderful and been a client for 25 years. And But he says, you protect me from myself. You know, what a, what a statement, right? Which is, you know, he'll bring an idea to me and I'll say, run as fast as you can. <laughs> and, and often I'll say, you know what? That's a really interesting idea. Let's dig in. You know, let's put our team around it and dig in. And so, you know, it all gets back to not dropping balls, but it's also, you know, you, you and I both have the same characteristic as well is that, you know, for, for the public air, I'll put it in a nicer way, but we're just not jerks. 
you know, we're just, it's important that I treat, you know, the person that's showing up at my house to landscape the same way I treat my largest client. I always have, always will. I learned that from my dad, you know, and I just think that, that there's a lot of that missing in today's society where, you know, you have a lot of haves and have nots and it translates into the way people hold themselves, you know? And so, you know, there's another way I would put it not on the air, but you could probably guess how I would describe it, but it's the no blank factor. We won't work with blanks. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and we expect, you know, we expect a lot, but we also treat everybody with, with respect. Yeah. You know, while you're talking, I mean, we talked many times in the past about some of the issues I have in my industry, but the the skill sets and components that you have as a person are very relevant and important in financial services because when you're working with somebody uh, and relying on them to help them grow their business grow their wealth grow their family protect their family your criteria is very uh it's up there and you want you know versus you're working with someone on a mortgage loan you know it's not so sticky um and so when you're listening to Eric talk, I mean, that's one of the things he has. He's very connected. He's very likable. And if you have these skill sets where people like you, uh, they don't think you're a blank. Uh, they trust you. They get along with you. I mean, this is an industry where somebody can really do well. And I know that, you know, it's interesting. I've had a couple of financial services folks on. Um, it wasn't always easy. I, can you take us back a little bit? You know, you're a duck. I won't hold that against you, but coming out of <laughs> University of Oregon, just give us a quick little summary of like, you know, did you get right into financial services and what did you do in the beginning to kind of try to launch your career? Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I came from a manual labor background and I'm really proud of that. You know, when I was 16 and I was working for John F. Buck in construction, you know, the, the never ending ditch I, I used to say, and, and that translated into commercial fishing. I ended up spending some summers up in Alaska, up in Bristol Bay. You know, for my friend group growing up, it was almost a rite of passage. We all wanted desperately to get jobs on gill netters. And we did. And we worked really hard. And it taught me that grind, you know, when you're working 18 hours or sometimes 36 hours at, on Bristol Bay. So I learned early to grind. And and that translated to when I moved here, you know, it, 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 and I love this truth about, you know, my history is no, I didn't land in financial services at all. So my first three and a half years here, I was a timber framer. So we built a, a one house for three and a half years for a very famous Los Angeles actor that may have been a governor somewhere uh, <laughs> and, uh, and timber framed this very large house. And, you know, we were working really, really hard and, and then I, you know, I had a minor in environmental science and, and I ended up getting a job with the Forest Service after that. And I was doing a biological evaluation of the Sawtooth National Forest. So again, very hard work. I was six months on, in, on with a backpack and a string of mules, literally. And, uh, and, you know, learned probably the best job I ever had, frankly, you know, until this period of time, because got in the best shape of my life. You know, it was it literally learned how little you need to survive. You know, we were uh, we were everything mattered how much we carried on our backs. So I showed up the first day and they threw my tent out and my bedroll 
and all out of my backpack. And, you know, we had sleeping bags and union suits and timber cruising material, <laughs> um, you know, things. And so, but then from that, and that's how I got that job at the Forest Service is basically do that environmental science minor. Um, and that led all of a sudden to this job at this great company called Power Engineers. And I ended up working five years um, as in the, as an environmental specialist. And basically I was, I was doing everything from buying right of way to uh, writing environmental impact statements and environmental assessments um, for huge linear projects. And if you think about the timing, it was you know, mid nineties, something like that. Um, and so we were, our clients were these huge fiber optic cable providers. So companies that aren't even there anymore, like Enron and Touch America, which is the old Montana power company and Williams and level you know, three legendary companies. Yeah. So I did that for five years and it was really interesting because it was the late nineties now. And, uh, I started getting really interested in the stocks of these companies that were clients of mine. And, and of course I knew nothing, but everything just went straight up. This was 1999. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, wow, this looks really fun. So, you know, I took this flyer, my wife was paying the bills with her business. So I had this opportunity to, to take a flyer and basically started a training program at a company called AG Edwards. And of course, you know, Murphy's law, as soon as I got licensed, the dot-com bubble burst. So here I am and, and everything changed overnight. And so it was really survival. But what, what I found, which was super interesting, we always say in times, honestly, like this, you know, this is a very interesting, tough time to be determined how bad things get, but we could talk about that if you want. But 2008, another example, right? The horrible time around 9-11 and horrible time around the dot-com bubble bursting. There's a lot of money in motion, okay? So a lot of people are in the process of being blown up because their guy or gal is not really as good as maybe they thought or they're not paying attention or they're not with a firm that really has their finger on the pulse of what's going on. It's critical in times like this. We are in our stripes in tough times, and this is no exception. So I found in 2000 when the dot-com bubble, dot bubble burst, you know, I didn't have a bunch of clients in tech only. And so there was a ton of, ton of activity. So I was able to build my business in that period of time and had a couple, you know, wins. And, but I was, you know, I was thinking about when you asked, it's funny, I hadn't thought about it for a long time, but. I literally was coming to the office on Saturdays with, with the white pages in Anchorage, Alaska. I said, you know what? I'm just going to focus on Anchorage. And I cold called. I mean, who does that anymore? Mm. Right. No. And I did it every Saturday and it didn't, it hurt. It was not fun. And I was questioning my, my place on the planet every day, but Holy cow, you know, just like we're talking about with fishing or construction or whatever the heck it is. I think that, that, that blue collar background is what taught me how to grind. And so, you know, this, it, this industry, this business is a pure numbers game. And, you know, it's, it's not a two-year thing. You know, this is a 10-year thing. And very, you know, tons of people fall off. I think at A.G. Edwards, there was, I want to say there was like 72 people in my training class. And by the end of the first two years, 
there was like seven left, you know, and a lot of those people did get licensed and then went on to other businesses that they'd already planned to go to or their own family office or, you know, so there's plenty of those people that weren't planning to stick around E.G. Edwards, but a lot of them just said, you know what, this is too much. So, you know, it's just like your business, just like any business, there's no overnight success and there's no quick riches. You know, anybody that tells you otherwise is is completely dreaming because this business is a grind. But but if you can make it 10 years and I don't say five years, you notice that if you can make it 10 years, you know, you have experience. So people are willing to put their money with you. Um and and you you've learned a lot about what it's going to take. And so that's when the fun starts. You know, it's it's I've been doing it now 25 years and or I guess 24 years. Um, but you know, now's the fun part. What would you say? Like, what is the most fun part? Like, what do you I mean, I know you're knowledgeable about the market finances. I know that you like interacting with people, you're a social guy. What is that you really, really love? Is it I mean, I, I won't even throw words out. What is it you love about your job? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a team guy. Okay, so I love the collaboration because of you know our team success. Now, you know, I've hired I'm up to you know I think nine people now. I just hired another person, so I, I really like that. You know, we have a wonderful guy in Seattle. We have um, three in Boise. Um, and uh, and then five and catch them. So so I like that every Monday morning doing our team calls, you know, doing our team, you know, using Microsoft Teams and these group, you know, we collaborate together, but we you know we commiserate together and we 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 share successes together. So so I certainly like that. That's something I learned at the engineering firm. You know, before that, I was um, or excuse me, after that at AJ Edwards when I was. Um, sole practitioner it was tough you know and so i think what i love is the team thing and you know i a sole practitioner can't compete against a team right and yeah could you make more money individually probably but you know there's no chance i'd be as successful if it was me <laughs> you yeah know? so i'm really smart people and um you know, and it's just more fun. So, so, but what, what I also love about the business is every single morning you wake up in our business, you know, everything changes every single day. So no matter what you wake up in the morning going and you're looking at the headlines and I have my various sources, right? Bloomberg and all these different, of course, the wall street journal, but, but tons of people I follow, you know, that I've learned and become friends with over my career, you know, really interesting people all over the planet. Um, and so, you know, my data feed in the morning, I don't need coffee because I've got this stimulus coming in and it isn't always pretty. And it's, you know, to that part, I love that every single day. It's different. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're going to ask what I don't like about it, um, I assume, but, you know, it's really hard to be proactive when you get to our size. You know, that's the truth is, you're putting out fires, things fall in your lap that you didn't expect the day before. And I think that's the hardest part is you so desperately want to be proactive and you have these little slivers of time where you can be proactive. And, you know, I mean, just like you and I trying to schedule this, you know, I've been a horrible pain in the butt trying to get this done because it's, it's just 
things happen and clients, families, you know, they're, that's our priority. And so we drop everything when things happen and things happen most days. <laughs> and so, you know, that's probably the thing I find mo most frustrating is, you know, if you look at like the, you know, the, well, it says in Covey's book, the seven habits of successful people. And it's like, you know, leave Fridays open, you know, so that you can just catch up on all the stuff. And my wife's always one dripping on me saying, you got to leave Fridays open. And I laugh because there hasn't been a Friday open that I remember. <laughs> and so, you know, it is what it is, but, but it does force you to, you know, let's say health, you know, I have a trainer, right? I work out with them twice a week religiously. And so I'll schedule my business trips and my meetings. That's, that's, that's me time. You know, it's only two hours a week, but I'm going. So deal with it. I'm not going to get on an airplane until I do that. You know, yeah. so there's little things you can do to, you know, insert these things into your life and frankly, trying to do more of that. And that's why I've hired quite a bit, you know, quite a few people is I'm getting better at delegating and making sure that, um, you know, you can let this business absorb you without, for lack of a better term, you start owning people's money issues. You know, it goes with you wherever you go. You know, that's, that's a, a lot of people don't like that. You know, I kind of thrive in it, but it comes at a cost, right? So you got to really, really take care of the home, home ship, so to speak yourself, the, the temple. And, uh, you know, so that's sort of the realities of this business. As you get bigger, you've just effectively grown every account we bring on. You're now that much busier, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and things happen, you know, we don't lose clients, but you know, people die, unfortunately, and you know, things happen. So, but, so we've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So you start to ask yourself, you know, what is the, when do you close the gates and say enough is enough, you know, or, but that's no fun. You know, what I'm good at is, is, you know, chasing, uh, you know, elephants for lack of a better term. And, you know, I, I was just thinking as I was saying that, you know, we did this really interesting kind of back of the napkin analysis, landing a large account on average takes 21 touches. So we looked at every single relationship we have and a touch can be a, a text, but now you can't text in our industry. So it's all through our you know, SMS thing at work. <laughs> so it's the wrong word, but um, a, a touch can be, you know, me taking a guy duck hunting, right? Touch can be going to a cracking game. We did that a couple months ago. It was amazing. You know, it can be dinners, it can be coffee, it can be emails. It's not like you're having 21 dinners with somebody. But, but if you're, you know, tr that trust thing again, if you're really playing in the pools that we're playing in, these things don't happen overnight. They happen over sometimes years. And so, you, you know, you always got to be thinking about if you want to grow, you know, it's a, it's, there's no quick recipe to those bit, you know, those deep relationships that you're looking for. Yeah. You know, the team thing's interesting to me because if someone's listening to you right now and maybe they're like, I don't feel like I have Eric's skill sets. I don't know a lot of people. I, maybe I'm a little bit of an introvert. Can you talk to the different skill sets that might be part of the team that, you know, maybe you don't have to be the most connected, social, likable guy. Um, what are some of those skill sets? You know, you have a team you said of 12 or 13. Are they, you know, what are they? Yeah, no, it's really important because 
Um, we, you know, there's all these different, you know, disc training and Myers-Briggs, you know, and I, we've done so much of that over the years and it's actually fascinating. I think it's fantastic because it really helps me realize, you know, that it's super important to check all those boxes, right? Like the skill sets that I have, like my, I call my, you know, one of my lieutenants for lack of a better term, the helicopter pilot, because he's, he's the guy that can fly the helicopter. I can't fly the damn helicopter. I mean, the tech we're using is so next level. It's, you know, and it's incredible, but I have to have people that on a drop of a, you know, dime, so to speak, they can, they can create a data set that a client may need. It's really hard, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, again, illiquid assets in particular, blending with traditional assets, whatever the riddle may be. Taxes, of course, are a huge, huge part of it. But that individual isn't, doesn't want to be in the meeting, you know, having lunch, you know, on a third meeting to, to determine if this person is going to be a client or not. It's not what he's wired to do but he's just as important as I am, right? So that team approach, and that's why I say that, you know, individuals have a hard time competing because one, we have a super deep bench. I can get on a plane for Cape Town today and there's no balls that will be dropped, but everybody has a little different skill set and a little different twist. But that culture, you know, we haven't talked about culture yet, which is so important. And that's why I've been so careful on how I built this team because you just, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time with these people and you got to be able to hear each other and value each other's opinions and, um, and, and use each other's strengths, you know, to make yourself better. So, so that team approach is critical, but having different personalities. So to your original comment, if someone's introverted or, you know, I forget exactly how you worded it. Great. <laughs> it might mean that you have incredible skills that I simply don't have. I mean, you and I are not spring chickens. Let's be honest. There's no way I can understand technology like a 38-year-old on my team. And that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's really critical, that depth depth of personality. So, it, yeah, I, I appreciate that. So as far as like, if you're listening and you want to build something big, it also sounds like in order to scale, you just need to add people to your team. You do. And that's exactly what I believe. Now that team can also be your company, right? So we're, we're only 75 people, right? I mean, it's so cool because my other firm, I was 38,000, I think. I didn't know what, you know, 37,900 of them did, but, <laughs> but, you know, every, you know, we collaborate big time with our investment office in New York, with our planning group in New York, with our tech people and our operations people in San Francisco, our CFOs in San Francisco, our CEOs in New York. So, you know, that's what's great about the size of this firm is, you know, you're absolutely entrenched with these people. So it's not just your immediate team. It's also the incredible, you know, main reason I came here is the people, right? I mean, there's everyone. I like to say we're not a teaching hospital. You know, we're not... We're not training people up. Everybody here is at the peak of their careers, you know, and that's really fun. So there's a lot I don't know, and I learn every week from those people that have seen something different. So, so when you, yeah, so when you were going through your career, did you think you would like want to end up with the the special? Like I think of it as a specialized 
team of experts versus some huge bank or whatever. Yeah. Like, did you, is this, was this your path or did it just kind of happen? And like looking back, were there signs that led you in this direction? Uh, yeah, or, that, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And no question when I said we outgrew RBC, I mean, this is the last stop. This is the, the very top of the food chain in our business. Um, so I knew we had to off, we'd expand what we do um, for our the clients we want to work with. And so this is sort of, um, you know, but did I know seven years ago? Absolutely. You know, did I know 10, 12 years ago? No. You know, so it was just an evolution, very normal, right? It's sort of, we're in the RII, RIA channel, registered investment advisor channel, the, the RBCs of the world are in the broker dealer channel. Okay. So the difference is an RIA has nothing to sell. We buy on behalf of our clients. Okay. So we can go anywhere on the planet. We can do whatever we want. Okay. RBC was pretty insulated from this, but a lot of firms, you know, are, are manufacturing plants. They're creating things to sell to their clients. We don't do that. You know, and so it's that's sort of an evolution that the, you know, the biggest, you know, the, the well, not the smartest, but the, you know, the, the people we want to work with understand that difference big time. Yeah. And so, you know, we, yeah, so we're pretty serious about, you know, going anywhere that we need to go to provide what the client needs. And that's hard to do at some, some of the firms, frankly. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm thinking about your trip. So as we wind this down, I want to make sure that you are, we're leaving ample time. A um, couple questions I typically ask all my guests, like if you were to rewind the clock coming out of University of Oregon, would you have done it differently? Or, I mean, I know that the pathway that you pursued led you to, but knowing what you know now, would you have, for example, tried to find more of a specialized firm and work your way up? Or would you have done it the exact same way? Yeah, I, I would have done it the exact same way, you know, and, 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 you know, I was thinking about that and, um, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, dinner I had with this very famous architect who's from your area actually. And, uh, and, I, and it was so interesting because we were talking about like who he hires and how he hires and this and that. I thought it was so fascinating that he said, you know, I don't want your traditionally trained architects coming out of the best architecture schools he said my number two my lieutenant was a jazz drummer for a decade then went back to architecture school i want people that see the world differently i want people that see things that others don't see you know and it just hit me it was so interesting because you know i've definitely done it differently my route has not been traditional i wouldn't do it and i wouldn't do it differently. You know, I think you got to wear multiple hats. You got to try on multiple things and, and learn, you know, again, in my example, the manual labor route to learn how to work, you know, and, and so no, I wouldn't do it differently. I was going to add one thing, you know, which is that we haven't talked about, and that is giving back. Okay. So I'm super passionate about philanthropy. I'm the treasurer of a local uh, community foundation called the Spur Foundation that I helped start. And we've already raised over $21 million for local nonprofits. And, you know, that's hugely important. Another thing is I mentor a very special group of military folks, okay, with special operators. And 
help help them get into college and get jobs and this and that. I find more enjoyment and fulfillment at this point in my life out of doing those things. And not more, I shouldn't say more, but I just, it's so critically important to, to give back in your community, you know, and, and, you know, I don't care if that means you're, you know, spending an hour picking up trash, you know, on the weekends for the, you know, the highway cleanup crew, you know, or whatever. But I think as a community, as a society, rather, we need to really pay attention to how we can use what we've learned and what we've been given by this great country uh, back to our communities. And I think that's critical. I love that, Eric. Um, and I've seen you firsthand. Um, it is impressive. I mean, it's a wide range of skill that you have, um, you know, and you're in the serious business, like finances is serious. You're not a bartender or a personal trainer. You are like dealing with, you know, but yet you have this, um, I don't know. It's just a wide range. And, and I think at the end of the day, if like somebody doesn't know you and they're listening and watching, you know, you have to have an ability to connect to people in a credible, authentic way. And I think, you know, that's how that's your secret sauce. I think that's what you are. You're also very connected. You know, it's a small town. Uh, you grew up in Bellevue, Mercer Island, Sun Valley, you know, a lot of interesting people and you seem to attract those people. Um, if I always ask this question, if you were to let's just say financial services was off the book, you couldn't do it. Is there uh, just curious, is there a dream job that you would want to have? Uh, you know, I know that you have a lot of hobbies, duck hunting. I know you love your ducks, Oregon. I know. Yep. Uh, is there is there something out there that I know you love what you do, but let's just say you couldn't do that. Is there another yeah. career that you would just see yourself doing? I really, really love the regenerative farming movement, regenerative ranching. You know, uh, learning, I've been learning a ton about that space and doing it real time myself. That's probably what I how I would answer that today because I'm super passionate about it. And I've got, there's just incredible people doing incredible things to protect farmland and to sequester carbon in root structures of grass, you know, so moving cows. I mean, all this really interesting kind of going back a hundred years in a lot of ways, that's super interesting to me. Um, you know, I come from a lineage of teachers from my grandpa and, and you know, aunts and uncles. And so I think that would be interesting as well. And it's still something that could happen someday. So I really like the, the constant, you know, the important work our teachers are doing can't be emphasized enough. So that's maybe, you know, something that I'm, I, I think about, or, you know, think about, but also something that I, I understand better now how important it is. Yeah, I didn't. I love this question because I didn't know that about you. My my wife is very much into what you're talking about in terms of the regenerative farming. We have land, and she talks about it all the time. So maybe uh, maybe one of these days, you and her can have a long conversation. Oh uh, boy, I'd love it. Yeah, I would love it. So hey, anything I miss that uh, you know that that you feel like's on the tip of your tongue? That a question I didn't ask. Uh, ultimately, what I'm trying to do is help people make better decisions about choosing careers. Uh, is there anything you think that you missed or you feel pretty uh, complete? No, I don't think so, Dirk. I'm just happy to have the opportunity to spend some time with you, man. We we got we to gotta get together face-to-face -face, uh, sooner than later. We're way overdue, and I love what you're doing. I think it's super important, and so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, buddy. Have a great trip. 
Uh, I want to see photos and be careful. Stay away from the lions, man. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.